They're continuing to load in well here for this big Group 1 event. There's a bit of movement from out wide. This will be confirmation from downstairs. Hello, broadcast. Okay. The clerks of the course have been passed fit to start, and Dean and Lewis are in the saddle. The red light goes on. The clerks of the course podcast is set to begin. Ready. And they're off. Chautauqua very late, it's English a half length in front, can he do it? Chautauqua, he's flying, yes! And excellent, but McCarty Diva clear with 100 metres to go, excellent runs to second, Otazun runs on, but a champion becomes a legend, McCarty Diva has won it! G'day everyone and welcome to another episode, episode two in fact, of the Clarks of the Course podcast. You're joined again by myself, Lewis Willoughby, and in the co-host chair again with me is Dean Watling. We've made it back for a second time and we're very happy to announce that uh, we're bringing PlayUp on board as our sponsor. Now PlayUp, if you haven't heard of them, they're a uh, great Aussie bookmaker, Aussie-owned, bursting onto the scene, doing some really big things. So all the odds that we read out uh, and that kind of stuff will be brought to you by PlayUp. Now, Dino, there's a link in here for listeners. Uh, tell us a bit about that one. Yeah, huge friends of the show, PlayUp. Um, happy to have them on board as our official bookmaker and all our prices, like you said, will be um, delegated from them. Um, if you jump on the Clarks of the Course podcast, our Twitter, uh, we'll link this in our bio. So that will take you straight to a sign-up page. That will get you... Nice and quickly signed up to a PlayUp account. You can access all the beautiful odds that they offer us. Um, so, no, it's great to have them on board and hopefully we can take some money off them this weekend. Absolutely. That's always the plan. Now, we've got a cracking uh, second edition of the show coming up. We're going to be having a talking uh, talk sorry, about pricing uh, and the importance of securing the best odds you can very timely with our new bookmaker on board. We're going to be going over the uh, Group 1 Caulfield meeting coming up this weekend. It's the Memsey Stakes, the first Group 1 of the season. Uh, We're going to do a segment on the best jockey over-the-shoulder look moments or uh, or celebrations that we've seen throughout the past uh, few years. That came up through an incident midweek that we'll speak about as well, but we thought that would be a funny one to do. And, of course, there's racing at Rose Hill. It's a Group 3 day. There's three, I'm pretty sure, Group 3s on the card and uh, wrapping up, as always, with our Get Out Stakes Challenge and $100 Group 1 Challenge. Now, I'm a bit thirsty, Dino. I've had a big week. I'm a bit thirsty. Uh, and I saw when I came on that you also had a beer in your hand. Now, what is the drink of the week, per se, for, for this week's pod? So, yeah, it's become a um, reoccurring um, tradition when we jump on and uh, record these podcasts that we both tend to have beers in our hands. So I thought, what better way than to have a drink of choice per podcast? Uh, each podcast will crack open a new beer, new flavour. Can be a spirit, can be a cruise. I heard uh, heard you don't mind your cruises up that could you could you have pavilion. So my I'll kick us off. I'm on the Carlton Dries, so that will be my drink for this podcast. Um, I like the flavour. It's an every everyday beer. Can sort of have one whenever I like, and I. Uh, what are you drinking, mate? What are you on to today? Those those Carlton drives go all right, mate. There's a few uh, a few boys, you know who you are down in Melbourne, that also run a uh, punting page who love their Carlton drives. I've been known to pay them out actually a bit over the time, but starting to come around to them. Not a bad drop. I'm on the bloke lagers, mate. Bloke in a bar lagers. Uh, Denon Kemp used to play for the Broncos. Your team might remember him. Uh, started his own brand, and they were doing a they were doing a special. You got a case and you also got a t-shirt so i thought it was rude not to i needed some new clothes anyway so i hooked up with a case of bloke and going through them a dime a dozen that is my beer of the week this week straight out of the can nothing better uh mate last weekend you had an absolute cracker i know you're away and you might not have seen much but from what i could tell on your uh on your barrier attended twitter page posting results post the uh meeting you had an absolute blinder mate yeah, it was a nice day, <laughs> coming off two sort of below average days, so it was nice to find a couple of winners. We struck nice and early uh, with the first two tips getting up, 
it was one of those days it could have been uh, it was a great day and could have been an absolute fill up uh, if the last tips got home they were a special reward and ice buff but nah very nice to find a couple of winners um it's probably the right time of year to hit some form so what about yourself mate of Moon Valley you got caught off mid meeting with the um with the weather but how would you find yourself early in the meeting yeah it was a big wash out at the valley uh i posted on twitter that i didn't want it to stop mate i i was i was going quite well not to pump the tires but i was going quite well uh it became obvious quite early i thought that uh you just had to lead and you'd win so with the four or five races that they got through i'm pretty sure four or five leaders won um and and when you get stuff like that i understand people go oh you know this track condition's no good you're not getting uh every horse every chance whatever and obviously if you're betting uh and tipping before the the time of the race, it, it can become quite hard. But if you're saving your bets till race time, uh, and you could see that everyone was leading and winning, it was a it was a pretty easy job to have a good filler. So there was that jittery Jack that led all the way. I mean, it wasn't the best horse in the race at all, but you just knew it was going to lead and win. Um, and I think that was the last race race they got through. Obviously, obviously, there's a huge uh, forgive and forget file to come out of that meeting. Um, Basically, anything that didn't run on or didn't win, I wouldn't be sucking at all. If you run on that day and, and you didn't do any good, just completely remove it from your form line. Um, it, it was obviously a hard, hard day for anything to make ground uh, or, or come out wide or anything like that. So, yeah, big forgive and forget file, but I, I had good fun. I had good fun. I wished it didn't stop. Uh, I'm sure Mick Bell and Jungle Edge wished it didn't stop as well. <laughs> I, uh, it, it would have gone around winks odds, I reckon. It was a dead set uh, certainty if it went around in that heavy 20 conditions to get up. But uh, we move on from that valley washout, big forgive and forget file, um, and, and Jungle Edge, unfortunately, goes home with his tail between his legs because he didn't get a run. But <laughs> moving on to our first topic, uh, and I know it's something that you take uh, really seriously after, after knowing you for a while now. I know that pricing uh, and, and finding price and, and finding good value is, is a big uh, mantra in your, in your betting. So I thought that, uh, you know, coming in to the real crux of spring, it'd be a good time to talk uh, and, and, you know, educate ourselves, not only listeners, but also ourselves on on how to uh, be effective punters. So kick us off here. Uh, you, you sent out a document not long ago to your, to your subs of the of the barrier attendant talking all about pricing. Give us a bit of a run through of, of your kind of mantra around pricing. Yeah, so pricing is one of those <laughs> key factors, especially in maintaining profit over a long period of time and being a, a successful punter. Um, it's one of those factors, I think, that you can get these stereotypes and these images in your head that sort of aren't true. You can sort of sit there and say, oh, oh there's $10 better off available on a different bookmaker. Um, I just can't be bothered to sign up to them. I'll just let that go. Uh, and it can sort of build up over a long period of time. You sort of become... Uh, comfortable with betting out of one bookmaker or two bookmakers and just taking under the odds just because you can't be bothered to sort of source that better price. So that's the instance I'm talking about in pricing. I think it's one of the simple facts that you don't need an IQ, a big IQ to figure out um, how to get the best price. You you sort of, it's all out there for you to get. Um, you just sort of get got to get off your ass and sort of open your accounts do a couple of things, but um, I've broken it down. A simple way to put it, and it it's on the fact of getting, say, $0.10, cents, $0.20, cents, $0.30 cents better off. Um, so, for instance, for a nice example, uh, I'll go slow through this to sort of get everyone on board and understanding it, but it's pretty simple to lay out. So, uh, for instance, if you have five $100 bets every Saturday, so you're spending $500 worth of bets on a Saturday each week, so 500 times 52 weeks in a year, uh, your total outlay for the year is $26,000, which is roughly 260 bets. If you're able to maintain a uh, 25% strike rate, you would have backed 65 winners. So out of your 260 bets, 25% strike rate, 65 winners. If you're able to increase your odds on every winner by, say, 30 cents, um, so that, that can come down to having multiple accounts, um, getting on nice and early, getting your form done early, you can increase your profit by $1,950 off the simple fact of finding $0.30 cents better per bet. To break that down even more, 
that is a 7.5% profit on turnover increase for the year. So you talk to most pros or most punters, they sort after that sort of 10% mark of profit on turnover. So if you can increase your winning margin or your bet odds by 30 cents per bet, um, you can make up to 7.5% profit on turnover. And if you're a unit punter, if you say $100 is one unit, you're increasing your uh, units profit by 19.5. So it's such a simple fact there. Get out there, open up um, different accounts with bookmakers. That allows you to obviously find the best prices, jump on the best prices. Um, and it's just, it's such an easy factor. I think a lot of people sort of, you can get that comfortable sort of feeling. I think a lot of people get in cars. Say you got a new car, you drive your car every day, you're comfortable, you know where your clutches, your gears are. As soon as you jump in another car, you're sort of bitty for you to start. You're like, I'll oh, get me back in my car. Once you've got them all set up, they're all out there. Your accounts are all linked. Your, uh, your bank accounts are linked. You can simply just jump on the best price when you when you can. And I know for a fact I did it for a long time. I'm not sure if you did, but got comfortable with a couple of bookmakers, sort of saw better prices and thought, oh, I can't be bothered. So that's just a simple simple way you can increase your profit over a long period of time purely on the yeah. fact of opening more betting accounts. Yeah, and you're right about that POT as well. 8% I've been told. Um, eight and ten percent is, is what you aim for. As and this is a, as a professional punter, if you can get eight to ten percent, if you can get more, obviously you, you're having a cracking year. But eight to ten percent for a professional punter is where they aim. Now I understand a lot of people out there, maybe some listeners, uh, it's hard for them uh, to to maybe get on with some bookies, minimum bet laws and such. But for a lot of people out there that uh, you know punting for the fun of it. I say that even if you're still punting for the fun of it, you're punting to try and make a bit of coin. So if you're passing up uh, on better odds because you're uh, you know, getting too familiar with the bookie that you're using and, and you're not shopping around, even if it is just a bit of fun on a Saturday or a Wednesday, still strive to, to find those best odds. And it also leads into another uh, point that I can make here is that you've got to be uh, not afraid to let a few horses go through uh, to the keeper. Let it go through to the keeper if, if it's just under uh, what you think is good value. So I've, you know, we've all fallen victim to it in the past. You're keen on a horse. Uh, you might have priced it or, or seen it should be priced around uh, X mark and it's priced lower than that at a Y mark uh, and you still have a crack and sometimes you get lucky and it wins, it's all good, but sometimes they lose and you kick yourself and you're gone, well, that shouldn't have been a bet. You've got to be willing to, uh, be smart about your betting and let a few go through to the keepers if it's just not uh, on the right price of, of what you of what you see fit. Uh, now, there's one thing here that I know you <laughs> you have a bit of a laugh at me at my expense about, but I'm a big fan of backing more than one horse in a race if you can get the value to still end up in front. What I mean by that is if you price out a race and you have maybe three or four horses that you identify as overs, if you can stagger your betting or even even stake it if they're good enough odds and still walk out with a profit, I think I personally think it's an absolute no-brainer. If I can back four horses in a race to win rather than one, gives me a better chance of winning in, in a sense and, and I can still turn uh, a profit if they both win. So I know you're a very strict one or two uh, race uh, horse Per race better, and that's that's fine, that's true. But I do encourage people out there that if you're keen on a few horses, maybe at some longer odds, do not be afraid to back them both to still try and turn a profit. Now, what about um, what about have you used the Kelly Criterion method before, which is betting to win a percentage of your bankroll? Have you seen anything on that? Yeah, definitely seen a lot on that. I think that is sort of the best prof. Best way to make profit over a long period of time. The fact with that is, though, it's sort of you sort of got to have a bank there to start with, if you know what I mean. So you can start with, say, a hundred dollar, thousand dollar bank, but you'll be sort of betting to win a lot less than probably you would normally bet. So it can sort of take the fun away that you can sort of say, "Oh, I'm doing all this extra effort. I'm not making any money." So. I think if you're going to do the Kelly method, you definitely need to have a bank there. I think it's just healthy for your mind to sort of see those bets there. You can sort of lose your sort of, I don't know, your mojo or your, your passion for it if it sort of becomes a chore. Um, but I definitely think that's the way 
to make profit over a long period of time. And that's definitely put out in the forefront with all the pros, Dan O'Sullivan. There's plenty of articles on it, on the Betfair sites and all that sort of stuff. Definitely big uh, articles all over it. But it's just the fact of having a bank there uh, to bet out of. I think if you haven't got the bank there to bet out of as yet, I think a units is a, is a great way to do it. So that's how I sort of send all my tips out to my members of the barrier attendant. Um, I assess the prices, um, figure out a unit based off confidence prices, blah, blah, blah. I send out a document to them and they sort of, how you do it is you work out your one unit bet. So a good way to put that is if you went down to the pub and you threw a, you saw a dog on the screen or a horse on the screen that you liked, what, 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 um, what note would you put on it? Would you throw a tw- 20, a 50, hundred dollar note? And that becomes your one unit. And then from there you sort of two unit, double it, three unit times by three. And I think that's a simple way, but I really, I really like, even though I might not be an advocate for it, but this two to three to four unit, uh, betting system per race per horse i think it definitely has its spot especially when you find a favorite or the second favorite who you think is definitely under the odds and you can sort of you've got a price a lot further out than what it is i think that's when it comes into effect the most when you can sort of get rid of that favorite in a sense or get rid of that second favorite and then you can narrow down something at longer odds two at longer odds three at longer odds and then the market's in your favor but um yeah, they're sort of my take on the Kelly method, staking method. Um, what do you sort of bet with? How do you bet like that? Yeah, I I like to do uh, same as you units. I'm I'm big on units, and I'd like to even stake as well. Even staking, if I can do a few horses in a race at even stake and turn a profit, that's always a good way to do it. Um, but also in that in, in the same breath, if I'm backing a horse at tens and also backing a horse at 30s, for example, I'm not going to put the same amount of money on both just because you're not, mini, you're not mitigating your risk correctly. If I'm putting the same amount on a $10 shot that I'm putting on a $30 shot, who obviously the $30 shot has less chance uh, theoretically of winning, then you, you'll probably end up uh, losing over that time if you can't nail those 30 to 1 shots, which it's, it's hard to do, as we all know. If everyone was backing 30 to 1 shots, mate, we wouldn't, be able, we wouldn't have a job. Is there anything you can suggest to everyone uh, about how to uh, effectively, I guess, link bookmakers and, and see uh, what your better odds are? Is there, any, is there anything you use that really helps you in that dimension? Yeah, for sure. So a simple free service you can use is the punters.com app. Um, theirs isn't up to time as probably much as the pros would like it, but it, it's definitely an effective way. Uh, you click on a race, you go down the horse that you like, you click on its odds, and it gives you a list of all Australian bookmakers, international bookmakers, their price, their current price over all them. So by a click of a button, you can sort of, without going through individually each bookmaker app or website on your phone um, or the computer, you can just click of a button, it tells you where your best odds are at. So um an extension of that is probably dynamic odds i think a lot of people use that um program a lot it sort of is a lot more on time i think it refreshes every four or five seconds with your odds you can sort of track it with flux um who's got the top odds totes um it even has speed maps form comments everything like that so the click of a button you can sort of watch which bookmaker's best best offer um so i definitely suggest to Look at both of those apps. Um, the punters.com one's free, so there's no excuse sort of out there. And like you said before, the more bookmakers uh, accounts that you have or the more um, betting opportunities you have, then obviously you have more access to prices. So they're two points mm-hmm. I'd probably definitely recommend. I don't think you need to be a pro. You can be a, you can be a Tuesday, Wednesday punter, $5 each way punter, and I think those simple facts can definitely improve your, your betting. Um, what about yourself? Do you have any sort of sort of pushes or opinions or sort of um, suggestions for the for the punters out there? I think I think it's important as well just with announcing our new sponsor that if you haven't tried play up, because I know a lot of people haven't, and we talk about here putting yourself out there to get the best odds, sign up because they're having a they're having a good crack. They're a they're a bookmaker who's new on the scene, so you kind of have to have a crack in a sense to try and get people on board. Uh, and it's another one to add to your arsenal. Uh, to definitely get on board with them and have a go. Uh, and they've got a good platform as well. They just updated their app as well, so it should be good. Another one free service to use if you want to compare odds is RaceNet, which is what I use uh, sometimes. Obviously, it doesn't have that auto-refresh uh, kind of system that Dynamic Odds does. But if you go onto RaceNet, onto its form, there's an odds comparison 
uh, table and it shows you most of the bookmakers. It also shows you uh, what percentage it's opened or uh, what percentage it's, it's firmed or drifted uh, since market opened and also since race day, which I like to look at as well. If you can see like what horses are, you know, firming late or, or really drifting late, uh, that's an important tool to use because, uh, you know, most of the time uh, can be spot on. I'm not sure if this is just a bit of a yarn, but I like to use it on Sundays. I find that Sundays, uh, the markets get it pretty spot on. Sunshine Coast, pardon, Sunshine Coast, for example, look at the market flux on a Sunday at the Sunshine Coast. I almost guarantee you'll end up in front each time. That's something to have a go at this Sunday if you're a bit bored. But I'm telling you, it could be a crazy theory, Dan. It could be an, a, a wild theory, but I think I it's true. That. I like that a lot. That's good. Moving on from pricing, we'll get into the main event of the program, your much-anticipated tips. Uh, we've got a cracking meeting at Caulfield, Menzies Stakes Day. Currently a soft five, rails back in the true position. Uh, we've got some very, very nice three-year-olds stepping out. We've got that very solid... Group one field. Um, we'll lead into your first bet of the day. Um, but first, actually, I'll ask you, how do you think the track will play? Back in the true, I think we're nine metres last meeting. It played pretty fair, actually. Um, how do you sort of see it playing? Yeah, rail back in the true. Uh, I think by Saturday it's going to be a good four. Soft five at the moment, not much rain expected. Hoping, hoping and praying it'll be a good four. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident it will. Uh in in past circumstances, Rail True on a good track has tended uh, to lean itself towards a bit of a highway, so a good leader's track. I'm hoping uh, if it that it's just going to play fair enough to give those out wide a chance. Obviously, that that nine uh, from the nine meters to the True Rail position is somewhat fresh ground. Uh, they didn't race there at last start. Obviously, the rail was out nine, so there is a bit of fresh ground from uh, the true out to the nine. Uh, but on a good four, I'm hoping with, you know, the, the outside lanes uh, should be a bit compacted through uh, recent racing. So I'm, I'm hoping that it should play fair enough, but it's obviously, as always, going to be very important to suss out those first few races and see what's going on. Because really, when you look through the card, if it is playing leaders, uh, basically my selections in every race will change. It's a big uh, especially for a group one meeting as well. If it's playing leaders, there could be some big, big betting moves uh, and betting flux. But hopefully, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, we'll be on a fair surface. It's perfect. Uh, hopefully, it does play fair. It's a beautiful track when it does play fair, and especially, like you said, with the rail back to the tree, you sort of got that nine metres of fresh fresh grass. So hopefully, that plays uh, fair. We'll move on to your first bet. Um, comes up in race two, far away. Yeah, so race two, it's the uh, benchmark 78 over 1,100 metres. Doing a quick look at the speed here. Uh, rulership from barrier two, as it does, will likely push forward. Reward with return, legionnaire, royal performance, and a good yarn. Uh, they're all horses that can be up on the speed. So I expect this pace to be quite, uh, not breakneck, but I expect them to be quite genuine. Rulership obviously likes to roll along in front and uh, and run at some high sectionals. So I think it'll be quite genuine. Now, God, I, it's going to pain me to say it because I know what's coming to me, but I'm going against the William. Oh, he's not on, He's not even on it. William, I was going to say I'm going against William Pike, but I, he's not even on it. They've put Liam Riordan on it, the two-kilo claimer windstorm. I just think it's too short at 260. I couldn't mark it 260, so I'm going against it, and I'm going for number 11, Express Pass. Now, Express Pass, uh, we were on Acumen. Actually, Dean and I, the day that express pass got up at Bendigo right on the line, uh, I've gotten over my saltiness of acumen losing, and I've had a good look at the race, and it was a good win by express pass. It was first up. Uh, it beat acumen, as I said, over 1,100 metres at Bendigo, and the win rated really well as well. It's second up here, but it's actually been kept quite fresh. Hasn't raced since then, uh, and that was a few weeks ago. Now, I think it was five weeks between runs. It's kept fresh, and it's been kept fresh for a very good reason because his uh, fresh form is extremely strong. So uh, four runs when fresh for two wins and two placings. That reads really well. And he's two from two at the distance. Uh, comes up only half a kilo in weight. Obviously, this is a harder uh, race than, than the Acumen race at Bendigo. But just at the price, I, I'm really keen uh, to play 650 or there. So on player, I have express pass marked around that $4 quote. So 
at the price, you could even probably go each way on it. I'm happy to play express pass each way in the second. I'll make mention of Windstorm just quickly. Uh, Pikey jumps off. Liam Reardon jumps on with that two kilo claim to bring that weight down a bit. Uh, no doubt won really well. Three in a row back in WA. The racing style is what gets me a bit. Gets behind midfield and takes a long time to get through its gears. Uh, last start, I think it was about a dollar twenty-four favorite. Just got up on the line, uh, just because it takes a, a quite a while to wind up and get through its gears and get to top gear. It's had the time off to get to Melbourne. Uh, two kilo claim helps with the weight, as I said, but I just think off its ratings that I've got for it, um, I just couldn't find it as short as it was. I think it's uh, around that two dollar sixty mark. I definitely, definitely couldn't get it a two dollar sixty chance. Maybe it will come out and prove too strong. Uh, there's a few people touting it as a as a group level horse, so it could come out and prove too strong. But at two sixty, definitely letting it go through to the keeper. Another one I'll quickly mention if you wanted to do a two bet play, uh, as always, the closer number fourteen, really unlucky last start at Caulfield in the same level, uh, equal grade, sorry, over a thousand meters. Uh, it was held up from the five hundred onwards through the line, so literally for half the race had nowhere to go, caught on the fence. Uh, and, and just couldn't get out. It comes out to 1,200 metres here, which I think suits. Uh, the th- I thought the 1,000 metres would be too short for on uh, when racing fresh, but because it got caught up and it looked like it had a lot under its sleeve, I think they wound it up just a little bit. So out to 1,200 will really suit. Uh, and it's around that double-figure quote as well. Uh, and I've got it marked a $9 chance. So happy to have something on the closer small, but my main bet will be race two, number 11, express pass. Perfect. Looks a very uh, winnable race for Express Pass. Though. I think, like you said, you mentioned it's sort of <clears throat> top three in the market there, clearly in front of the rest. Uh, I guess if Windstorm turns up, it will turn up. But like you said, it's going to get back from the barrier, especially even if the track does play fair. You always see in the first sort of one or two races, it can always sort of still be a touch leaderish and then it will even out as the race goes on. I think. Definitely, if it was the last race of the day, I think it would be a lot shorter. Um, we'll move on to your second bet. Comes up in race seven. Uh, it's a very, very smart colt. Uh, who are you going with there? I'm going with him. I'm going with Tagaloa, race seven, number one. It's probably out of the three bets I'm having, uh, this is the one I'm most keen on. So, obviously, this is the group three McNeil stakes over 1,200 metres. Uh, a lot of the field and a lot of the chances coming here first up, including Tagaloa. Taking a quick look at the speed, uh, hard landing and immortal love are the ones that I have leading. Uh, Ranting and Loka from the inside barrier, he probably won't want to give away too much of a start. Back in the field, uh, all from the wide barriers, Brander's rule, national choice, extra time. They'll be going back in the field. Speed looks even, um, and I'm really keen on Tagaloa. I'm, I'm really, really keen. One of the best bets on the program for me. First up here off the back of two jump outs and won them both very well. The latest was over 1,000 metres. I like when they take them out to that longer distance uh, for a jump out rather than the 800 or the 900. I really like when they go out to the 1,000. That was at Cranbourne, uh, sat up on speed, kicked away under a massive hold, uh, never touched it. I'm pretty sure Michael Walker was on board for the jump out, never, ever touched it, eased down over the line. Obviously, it's the Group 1 Blue Diamond winner from last prep and quite simply just rates so much higher than any other horse in this event. The blinkers go on, which I just love. I think he'll be an absolute machine with the blinkers on. The drying track is really suitable, and I think Michael Walker gets him in a really good position from barrier eight, somewhere midfield with cover, two out. Uh, Worst-case scenario in a three-wide line, that wouldn't even, even bother me either. So good position midfield from barrier eight uh, and can just get the drop on them and go over the top. Class should prevail. Uh, I've got it marked $3, and I can tell you it's a much longer price with play-up. So $3 for me, that's all over a bet, the one Tagaloa. There's a few others I could go through and mention in the race, uh, but just because I thought they were quite a way off Tagaloa, I I didn't really bother. Maybe uh, flying award for the O'Brien and Oliver combination. uh, Trial uh, jumped out quite well at Flemington. Obviously, our playboy came out and won. First up, that was an improved run, but it's got a terrible draw here, 15. I don't know where it ends up from barrier 15. It's going to need some Ben Miller magic from there. Quay uh, Quay won the Vobus Gold, Sandown last, uh, Gold Showdown sorry, last prep at this track and distance. Uh, couldn't find a jump out for it, so just unsure how it's going. 
probably market best guide with Quay Quay. But uh, yeah, Tagaloa, mate, very, very keen. Uh, could be one of the bets here for me of the whole spring. Race seven, number one, Tagaloa. Don't get a bigger push than that. Um, I think the key point you definitely make there is the blinkers on first up. That's a massive push for the horse. I think if you sort of see that blinkers off um, or tactics ridden, uh, going to be ridden colder, those sort of negative tactics first up, you, you can sort of see that they're going to progress slowly through the prep and hit their grand final. But really like that blinkers on, like you said. It's, it's fired up, ready to go, and, and exactly with the trials. You want to see these horses trial over a bit further. Leading in, tells you they're fit, ready to go. Um, what what price does it start race day, do you think? I think the only thing that drifts it is a leader bias. No leader bias, and I think it has to shorten. It, it has to. On I'm like Obviously, uh, bookies and whatever and myself and other people use different rating systems, but I can't see how anyone would have something rating close to it. I, I, I have no idea. So barring a leader's bias, I think it starts sub threes. I honestly think it starts sub threes. Uh, scratchings obviously would bring it in as well, but um, it just it just rates miles ahead of anything else in the race. I, and I was even when I was doing the form here, tried to be generous and rate a few up higher to make it a more even contest. I couldn't. I just, I just couldn't get anything near it. So sub threes, I think for me, can't see it drifting. Uh, and the, the Sutton and Young team are always quite confident on their horses, so they're never going to come out and say, oh, you know, maybe watch it first up or whatever. They're always quite confident, uh, especially with this bloke, would obviously be a stable favourite perhaps. So they were quite confident during the week, and uh, I can only see it shortening from here. So my price, $3 punters, if you like it like I do, take the price now. Yeah, definitely. I like the... I like what you make a statement there with them coming out midweek and very confident. I think it's it's maybe already sold to stud to Coolmore, so I think they definitely want to protect that that stud value. You don't want to be going down in a um, McNeil Stakes first up. I think they'll definitely damage it, so they're going to be wanting to win this. Um, we'll move on to your third and final bet comes up in the Group One race of the day um, headliner. Um, I can see you've gone your trendy ways with your two bet system. Uh, which two horses are we playing here? That's it. It'd be amiss of me not to uh, give the punters something in the group one. I sat down and I, I went through the form. This should be a great race, a really good edition of the Memsey Stakes. Uh, it's always a great way to kick off the spring season is the Memsey Stakes. I'm having a two-bet play, as you said, on number nine, Cascadian, and number 11, Mystic Journey. I'll just quickly go through the speed here. It's over 1,400 metres. Uh, now, they've come out and said, Daniel Bowman, on Be Good to Your Mother, that they're going to go handlebars down. It'll be a genuinely run race. That is just music to my ears. So from Barrier 7, Be Good to Your Mother pushes on. Streets of Avalon, Savatiano, and Iconoclasm are all on-pace horses. They're likely to go forward as well. So with Be Good to Your Mother setting this tempo, I'm expecting it to be quite uh, genuinely run, uh, which perfectly sets it up for anything midfield. Back in the field, uh, Princess Jenny, Cascadian could be back there. Uh, I'm hoping they don't go too far back. I'll touch on his last start run in a second, but he was back last start and uh, kind of cost him in a sense. So I'm hoping second up here they can be a bit more positive. Princess Jenny's the other one uh, back there as well. So my first one here, Cascadian, as I said, second up, comes out of the PB Lawrence, which is a dominant form line for this race, a lot of them coming out of that race. Uh, run fourth, it was slow to begin they uh, hooked it back to last. Now, if you look at the sectionals and the splits from that race, they really slowed it up mid-race, uh, which just hampered anything beyond midfield uh, of having a chance to run on. They, so they went pretty slow mid-race. Uh, Cascadian saved ground up the, the inside on the turn and found the line really, really well, had the best sectionals of the race, best closing sectionals of the race. So uh, although to the eye it may not have looked like a cracking run, to run the best sectionals from last off a slow tempo, I thought was a, a really big tick. Second up, as I said, it's fitter. Sticking to the 1,400 metres will suit. It holds weight, uh, and with that speed likely to be more genuine, I'm I'm tipping that it will be able to run on much, much better from hopefully a closer position. Behind midfield is where I'd like to see it. I've rated Cascadian an $8 chance. I know it's longer with play up, so that's why it became a bet for me. And the other one that became a bet for me because I rated it lower than its market value was Mystic Journey. Uh, also comes out of the PB Lawrence. 
finished eighth on that occasion on paper uh, and even to the eye again, just doesn't look that good. But if you watch the race again, it jumps, it gets caught four deep without cover for basically the first half of the race. It had no cover, deep, somewhat on speed. Eventually got in a three wide line. It was the first one off the bit on the turn uh, and was flat to begin with. But that last, there's just a few strides in that last 50 meters that really caught my eye and 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 made me realize that the run was actually much better than it looked. So uh, its second up record is four starts for three wins uh, and a second and a placing, sorry. Uh, and it's got a three start for two win track and trip stat as well. So on the page, it's really starting to add up. I think it maps perfectly this time from barrier four. No chance of it getting caught deep and wide. I think it enjoys a lovely run midfield off this hot tempo. Uh, and, and quite simply, I think it can bounce back. You know, there's been big chat on Mystic Journey as being a good horse. Maybe some people are jumping off after that first up run, and I really encourage you not to. I think that Mystic Journey. Uh, or Betty, as she's better known to the stable, can really, really bounce back. I've got a $6.90 chance. Again, she's longer with play-up. So I'm happy to back both of them uh, with an even stake and, and turn a profit if either of them win. Race, nine, uh, race uh, 9, number 9, and race 9, number 11. Perfect. Um, one I wanted to ask you about and get your opinion on is... Number 15, right down the bottom. Not sure how much you're across this horse, going fit it. Um, a real... Um, key, I think you could say, um, stable change uh, in the Moody stable now. Um, obviously the trainer of the Great Black Caviar um, gets in with absolutely no weight, fifty kilos on its back. Knew it rides. Um, it's hard in the market for the sense of it probably wasn't the top two year old, or in my sense, it was. In my opinion, it wasn't. Um, what did you make of that horse? Look, I, I've thought uh, Glenn Fiddy watching it race through its preparations. I thought it was a bit of a squib, to be honest. I just think it had a lot of chances, uh, especially when it went to Morfittville for the two-year-old classic and finished behind Amish Boy. Uh, it went around as a $3.80 favorite. It came off a Group 1 Blue Diamond run where it just was no match. Um, and so it went to Morfittville, and I really thought had every chance to put that race away and couldn't. Came back to Mornington and won the Mornington size. Uh, but you look at the form in that race and it's it's really not much. There's nothing to uh, be riding home about. Then went to a group one in Randwick on a heavy and got done uh, and then put in a bottler of a race in the Champagne to finish second to King's Legacy. But I just had the opinion it was a bit of a squib. Now, Peter Moody's been uh, quite bullish on its chances. Obviously, yes, it carries 50 and a half. That's huge. Um, the way I kind of saw it, lots of gear changes as well. Earmuffs, visors off. Uh, lugging bit nose roll on. Uh, its two jump outs have been good, latest over a thousand meters at Pakenham. But you look at it, like it won by three or four in that jump out, and the things running behind it would start a thousand dollars to one in this race. Like it just isn't beating anything in its jump outs. Uh, I think fourteen hundred meters fresh off two jump outs is a query. Does it want further in time? I think yes. Uh, the only reason I can see it winning is if this hot tempo goes ahead. It gets uh, a sit from barrier 10, and it's only got 50 and a half kilos on, it back, on its back. Uh, it might be able to pick a few off and get quite close. But, yeah, I was just always of the opinion that it's a bit of a squib, and I, I'm somewhat happy to be against Glenn Fittich. Yeah, I like you make the mention there of um, the Sydney form. Um, I think a lot said, especially around that King Legacy race, I don't think it rated uh, out of this world the size race where it ran second there. Um, I think a lot of pot, a lot of people potted that race especially. So I think it's in the heart in the market because it's got a lot of upside. I think a lot of these horses are proven. Uh, they've got a lot of form on the board. I think it's probably the one that has the most upside, if you could say, or the most chance to improve. But like you said, it hasn't really beaten much. It's probably, probably going to drift at the current price. But um, And it starts at group one here. Like potential, yes. But if this and if this was a Group Three, I'd be like, yes, yeah, sweet. Probably got the most upside here uh, of these of these in a Group Three level. But you come to a Group One level, and although you're right, there's a, not a lot of upside to come from the others. The upside is that they're still Group One horses. So it's it. Look, I think it would have to be quite good to win Glen Fittich. The thing that does concern me is that Peter Moody was so bullish on it, and I, I think he's an absolute genius. And whenever he gets a bit bullish on something like this, uh, he can quite easily pull off a sting. Uh, in a race like this. But just going back through quickly, my 
Bets for Memsey Stakes Day. Race 2, number 11, Express Pass. Race 7, number 1, Tagaloa, hard to beat. And the two-bet play in the Group 1, number 9, Cascadian, number 11, Mystic Journey. Perfect. Looks a cracking day there um, with the second Group 1 of the year. Hopefully we get a nice fair playing track at Caulfield. Always a nice betting track when it plays fair. Um, we'll move on to our second topic. Uh, I might hand over the reins to you. I know you're very passionate about this midweek and um, been up and about about this topic. So I'll hand over the reins to you with this. Mate, I'm really excited about this one. I It comes about now what we're talking about here, listeners, is uh, the best over-the-shoulder moments uh, that I've that you can remember throughout the years. Now this comes about because Benny Mellum, Cadre du Noir uh, at Sandown on Wednesday had a lap full of horse under him, went past the entire field basically without touching it, and had one of the great looks over his shoulders back at the field to almost go, "What's going on here? What, where are you all?" And it and it brought up a point for me that I just think the one of the greatest joys in racing is to see that you know almost arrogant look over the shoulder especially if you're on the horse don't don't get me wrong if you backed cadre du noir on wednesday and you saw benny mellon look over the shoulder it's just like doubling your money it's such a good feeling to see him <laughs> arrogant i almost think benny mellon's one was uh because i'll get i'll get to some jockeys that can be quite arrogant with it but i kind of got the feeling that benny mellon's one was a bit of confusion almost he moved up to him and went past and you can see his look. I didn't think that was a look of how good am I going. I thought that was almost a look of where the bloody hell is everyone? I don't understand what's going on. So it brought up with me that what are the best over-the-shoulder moments uh, that I can remember. Now, Nick Giles was very quick with one, uh, and this this jockey is a dead-set repeat offender, as are most of these on the list, actually. Glenn Boss on Puissance de Lune in the Queen Elizabeth. I went and watched the replay of it, obviously, uh, a few years ago now, so I, I was not watching live due to my age. I'm only 22. Didn't see the race live, but I went back and had a look. He looks over his shoulder at the 250, the 200, the 150, the 100, and the 50. So he has five glances over his shoulder, Glenn Boss, and to be fair, the horse absolutely pissed in. And for everyone that's obviously is a hard segment to follow if you can't see the races, so on our Twitter we'll post a few links uh, to these, but that, for me, out of all the ones, was the absolute cream of the crop. Glenn Boss with the five look to the post over his shoulder. Now, another serial offender I've got here, J-Mac. Uh, and I know we both came up with one for J-Mac. The one I came up with was uh, Hartnell in the Group 2 Hill Stakes. It won by six lengths. And uh, I reckon J-Mac looked over his shoulder for a period of about 75 metres. Just kept looking. The horse could have been going off the track, mate. He wouldn't have known. He just kept looking back at him. It was about a 75-metre look uh, by J-Mac. Yes, it was a group two. Uh, Is that a bit arrogant? I think not. I think not. I think play on. I love to see it. So J-Mac in the the group two hill stakes for Hartnell. Now, what was your J-Mac one? Uh, My J-Mac one was definitely the VRC Oaks aboard Nature Strip. I think the most arrogant part about it, if you can imagine yourself sitting on a horse... You're probably hitting top gear over the last sort of 400, 200 metres. You're hitting about 60 kilometres an hour. I can't see any way that you can possibly look behind you and have an image or have an understanding of where you are, how far a horse is off you, how far they're going. So I just think it's an, <laughs> it's probably the biggest uh, push that you're home. You've doubled your money. You should probably even get paid out double, I reckon, if, if a jockey's doing that because it dead set. If you can figure out how many lengths a horse is off you behind you by peeking behind your shoulder at 60 kilometres an hour, I think you're doing very good. Um, the one in the I VRC, think I think I think uh, in the car when I'm going 50 kilometres an hour, let alone if I was on a bloody horse, tracking 70, going down. I'd be looking straight ahead, mate. That's too scary, mate. Exactly, the old L plates, head checks in your, in your test. But another couple, they weren't as much as head checks, but nice and early celebrations. I think they got fined for this too, Brendan Abdullah, on Lequidy Spirit in the Oaks, um, high on the irons over the last 50 metres. I think that's another another sort of similar arrogant push. Um, 
I think definitely not the smartest thing to do, but I guess when you're winning group one yeah, like that, you that can do was, what you want. That was one of the great, great celebrations. I remember watching that, and just for the way that the race panned out as well, the Squatty Spirit was about 900 lengths in front this entire time, and you just kind of sat there going, it'll pull up, it'll pull up. Then it gets <laughs> to 500 to go, and you're like, it'll pull up. And then it gets to 400 to go, and it's not pulling up, and they're not getting any closer, and you're like, it's got to pull up. And dead set, the gun, Brent of Dullet, like the last 50 metres, high in the irons, takes the bow past the post, mind you, to bow to the crowd past the post. That is an absolute classic. Now, another Twitter follower, Scott Bailey, got in touch with that post I made and posted a video of Brett Preble uh, in Hong Kong riding a horse called Lucky Nine. Uh, he went past the field quite simply in the last 100 metres, eased him down for about a three-length win. Brett then proceeds to turn around to the opposition and usher them to hurry up and catch up to him as he goes past the post. <laughs> Laugh, mate. That's that's oh, that's a cracker. I'd love to, I haven't actually seen the footage of that. We'll have to post that on our Twitter feed. But, gosh, that's you must have got my horse doing that. That's it. And another quick one I'm going to mention of, uh, sticking with international flavour. This is a dead set serial offender. I know I said that about Glenn Boss, but this this guy, he is a dead set serial offender. Frankie DeTori. This is probably the favorite one for me in terms of look over the shoulder arrogance. Enable in the King George. That was a three horse race. Frankie looked over his shoulder before he'd even hit the lead. He was still in second place and he had the audacity in second place to look <laughs> over his shoulder. He wasn't even in front yet, mate. That that is a dead set laughing job by Frankie Dettori. Obviously, went in to shut him. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely walked him. Uh, Pure that one for me. That's the dead set best. Pure disrespect to the horse that's obviously in front of him. There, <laughs> he's probably yeah. off the bit hard under the whip, and I'll make Frankie's just having a little peek behind, sitting a lanker off him. That's it. And if you've got any more uh, listeners and, and punters, if you've got any more that you can remember that we haven't mentioned. Please let us know because, as as uh, Dean made mention to, one of my favourite uh, things in racing is to see the big look over the shoulder. Now, will there be any looks over the shoulders from uh, a few jocks at Rose Hill this weekend that you've tipped up? There's racing at Rose Hill. It's a Group 3 card. I think there's three Group 3s on the meeting. Uh, and it's a good four. The weather's been good. Sydney's enjoying some good weather. In fact, on Saturday, I think it's actually supposed to be quite warm. Could be 26 degrees, uh, something like that. You could probably you could probably talk to me on that one. Uh, what are our thoughts on this Rose Hill card? Somewhat playing secondary to Melbourne, but still a very, very good day of racing in its own right. Yeah, it's one of my favourite days of the year. you got the San Domenico um, and the Ming Dynasty races. Um, as the partners and listeners might know, my favourite sort of – Bet types are definitely these three-year-old, two-year-old progressive horses. So we've had beautiful weather, like you said, all week. It's been hot as, I think it was even 22, 23 degrees today. I nearly got sunburned at work, actually. Um, but it definitely looks hot on the weekend. So I'm guessing we'll be on a good four. Um, the rail's back in the true at Rose Hill. Um, expecting a fair track. Uh, obviously do monitor throughout the day, but I think, um, history tells me that they'll sort of be getting off rails possibly by race seven, eight, and nine. So I've taken it as a fair track, and I think all should do the same. Obviously, monitor early and all that sort of stuff, but there could possibly a couple of head checks. You never know. That's it. Well, talk us through uh, your first bet on the card coming up in race five. Race five, probably the race of the day, uh, hands down. I think it's a small field. Um, but I think every single horse probably in that field can um, quite possibly win. Um, <clears throat> you've got the likes of Mamaragan, Doubtland, Anders, Every Rose, Peltzer, Osamu. Um, probably Every Rose is the one that you can probably put a put a line through. Um, but even like $21 Osamu, I can give a chance. Um, I'm keen to back Peltzer in this race. Um, I think he's just come up over the odds. Um, if you talk about spring form or you talk about uh, late autumn or winter form for these three-year-old ranks, everyone talks about this hashtag Peltzer form. And then he comes up in a Group 3 race first up off to some solid trials and he's come up 
$3.70. Um, I think you'll get a, definitely a beautiful run in transit. Barrier 2, I uh, heard Gerald Ryan come out for the week and say they're going to uh, lead. So he'll find those rails, and I think he'll find the lead quite comfortably there. Um, trial back, he sweated up a lot, played up in the barriers and still blitzed him in that trial. I think he'll come on a lot from that trial. Definitely a key for mine with these Gerald Ryan um, runners is first and second up. He fires his horses to go first and second up, and I think that's a very key point you can take on board punters, especially when backing Gerald Ryan horses. Um, he's won his three starts. He's three from three by a combined 7.1 lengths. Um, 1,100, 1,200, that's his go. Um, and the key point I took out of it, if you go back through his prior form, um, the day he ran on Takeover Target Stakes Day, over the 1,200, they recorded a one-point length faster time than Stakes Class, which had Grey Worm and Snits in that, and also recorded a faster time than a horse called Mark's Crusader on the day. I think that's the right form. He's come up way over the odds. I've got him easily marked the favourite around that $3 mark. Um, I think Anders will drift in that. I will make mention of Anders. Um, can't knock him. He's been very progressive. But Pelster did beat him by 1.5 lengths on debut. Um, I do concede he's obviously improved uh, a stack since. All his good form and all his recent form is on a wet track. So the query there is um, can he come back and improve again on uh, a good track or is he just flogging these other horses on a wet track due to the pure factor of the wet track? Um, he'll sit outside Pelster in the run. He should get every chance. I don't think he's been um, contested for the lead, so that will be a slight groove for mine. He's won his last three starts by 12.24 lengths. He's definitely a danger, but I definitely do think he'll drift. Um, another one which has spruiked a lot of attention on Twitter, probably from myself, um, going off a touch early with his trials, is Doubtland. I've got him as my early um, Golden Rose pick. Um, going off the trial on face value, you definitely jump off. But if you go back and look at his two-year-old um, prep, he did the exact same thing. He was probably, um, you'd think he's a benchmark 60 horse going off his trials. But he brings his A-game race day, gets the winkers on too. Two from two, 1,100. If you go back to watch his last start, it's absolutely arrogant. Wins by about four or five lengths. Uh, love love his action. You watch him sort of low his head. Um Lower his head, lower his stride, and just absolutely moats to the line. I think he's the one to beat Peltzer. They're both at, I think they're both over the odds. I think they'll both start shorter than Anders on the day. Um, I think you sort of want to watch the track. I think Peltzer gets all the chances, gets all the luck, so I'm going to stick with Peltzer there. Small field, but uh, looks a very good race. Pun is a bit quiet early. Not many market mentions to move here. Maybe Doubtland. Uh, as you said, with that push, just specked a little bit. But as from opening, everyone pretty solid. So Pelzer on top there, 370 with play up. Moving on to the very next race, quick back up into the next best in race six. Tell us what you like there. Yeah, I thought this uh, race presented a lot of value, actually. I sort of landed on three top chances in the race. Um, those top chances are Electric Girl, Destination and the other one is Prime Star. I think you could be forgiving of all of them um, off their last starts. I think Prime Star got stuck down on the bog track. Um, Electric Girl comes for the provincial championship where she failed on the heavy. Um, she's the one I've landed on. Uh, Barrier 7 looks to get the gun run. Uh, gets a nice claim with Day in the saddle. First start record is impeccable, yet to miss a place. Six starts for four wins, a second and a third. 1,100 slight query. Uh, the best form's over 1,400. At that 1,400 bed horse called McCormack, last prep. Um, we all saw it come out and win impressively last weekend. Um, forgive that provincial championship on a heavy eight. Um, definitely doesn't handle heavy track, so it's key that it gets that um, good track on Saturday. Um, its trial was nice beyond Mars Crusader. Then it went to Kembla on its home track and recorded a 33.62 last 600 Fastest of the morning um, was not asked for an effort at all. Um, I'll make mention of destination. Um, I had it on top early thoughts. Um, just query is how far he'll get back. Um, very impressive last start. Um, moved well into that race and then sort of got sucked down on that bog heavy 10 track. I think it will improve a lot of that. Gets the gun, Rachel King on. Barry 10. I don't mind horses that draw wide at Rose Hill, so I can think that's a positive. And if they go quick here, he'll be the one flying late. Um, 
if you like a horse court on the lead, they ran on the same day, two starts back over the 1,000 metres at Canberra. He ran significantly quicker time, 3.4 lengths faster time over that 1,000 metres. That horse has yet uh, since Frank the form. Um, come out midweek as well and ran a nice second. Um, I think Prime Star can be a big improver. I know you read his form and he won a English Millennium on a heavy 10 and then it comes up in the stewards report last week that he didn't handle the going, so you can sort of say what's the go there. But back to a dry track, I think his trials leading in were outstanding. Beat a horse called Bella Nipotina in that English Millennium and I think a knockout chance is Prime Star. But I'm happy to go with the value of um, Electric Girl there and I think she's sitting at around that um, – Six seven dollar price, um, six fifty currently with play up. So I think that's definitely a nice price. I've got her marked a lot shorter. And just quietly for for a, for a girl that's still claiming three kilos in Louise Day, she's riding like an absolute senior rider in just such a hot vein of form. Uh, and you, you, anyone who doesn't put, if you need a claimer in the city and you're not putting Louise Day on, I think you're out of your mind because she's riding in red hot form so electric girl on top there for the second best bet moving on to the lucky lucky last race nine on the day for your third and final bet now talk us through this one in the last um it was an interesting race i had a few black booked in this race um two in the market were subpoenaed and prime candidate i wanted to be very forgiving of prime candidate you come through a tough winter where normally you like to back those horses that settle in the first four on pace. They're going to get – you don't need luck. They're going to get every chance. And I think those tracks sort of towards the end of winter, they were definitely playing uh, run-on horses towards the outside, these horses who can sort of get to the lane five, six, seven. Um, his last start was outstanding. But I've landed on subpoena. Um, I think this mare has absolutely probably one of the best turn of foots I've seen. Um, but the biggest key on Saturday is barrier five. J-Mac on, he can sit a lot closer, even if it's one or two lengths. That's all she needs to do to sit closer. First up, yes, three starts, two wins and a second. 1,200 metres, don't mind it, probably better suited at 14, but we'll fly fresh. Uh, 0.2 lengths off Rupasaki last prep. Um, that horse will go around at Caulfield on Saturday as well. I think that's the right form. 1.5 lengths off Dawn Passage as well. That's huge ticks for mine. And the barrier, just a big key there. She can muster speed. She can sit sort of that three, four pair back run off the rails. I think that will be the place you want to be in the last race of the day. 1,200 metres is a slight query for mine. And I'm hoping J-Mac and hoping she's able to settle that bit closer and still have time to finish off. Um, I'll make mention of Prime Candidate. Key start there, Prime Candidate is a dry track. Seven starts for four wins, a second and a third. Big ticks there. Residual fitness has been freshened for this race, but will carry residual fitness compared to Subpoena, who is first up. The Inuit form and Poetic Charm form reads nice. There's a solid tempo, um, and from the wide barrier, he can quite possibly uh, take a sit or take up the running. Another one I'll make mention of who I had as a danger um was the toppy uh i don't know quite how to pronounce it it might be wonder babe or wonder bar um gets in nice with the claim gets an um <clears throat> gets an ideal run from six two from two 1200 meters um dominant win last start 3.5 lengths not sure the depth in that race but at some nice odds could run a race but i'm very keen to stick with subpoena there um currently four dollars with play up i think she will start around that 3.20, 3.30 quote come Saturday. Beautiful. Subpoenaed in the last one. I just want to get, if you can, a quick comment on the number three, something fast. Now, to my eye, kind of just didn't come up last prep. If you talk two preps ago in November, December 2019, won two on the trot and won them quite well, beat Faistos uh, and then Primitivo over 1,600. It's had a kind of weird... Uh, trialing prep coming into this. Obviously, trial twice on the synthetic over 1,080. I know you're against uh, synthetic form. And then went back to a trial over 735 metres at Randwick. It's got some okay first up stats, and it's got some really good dry track stats. So I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on the Anthony Cummings runner something fast. 
yeah, it has that beautiful racing style where it can sit on speed and still kick away. Like you said, the fresh record, uh, seven starts for five wins and a second. Those trials were the sort of concern for me. Um, it's definitely not a tick for mine if you see three or four trials leaning into a campaign. It's sort of, in my head, it tells me either there was a slight hiccup in the prep, slight injury, or they're looking for a dry track. So you can sort of get unstuck there where you sort of you keep trialing the horse trying to keep them up and going till you find that good track. Does get that Saturday. Hasn't been too long between the trials. Barrier 3 should get a beautiful run. Um, it's just a query for mine is how hard they go here. You've got a few horses who can push forward. I'm not sure. I think she. I think um, he will lead from Barrier 3 and he'll find those rails and run. Just not sure if that's the place to be in the last race of the day. But like you said, if it brings a form from last prep on a dry track, has to be a huge chance. And I think... A uh, big care of that horse would be watch the market late. If it's come back any any sort um, good or any any suggestions that it's going to have a nice prep, I think you'll see a strong market support late. So that's sort of my thoughts on something fast there. Beautiful. But sticking with race nine subpoenaed in the last, mate, while we're talking about uh, race nines and the last, I'll move on to the get out stakes. Now, we, we had a blowout uh, in our challenges last week. Audience, if you if you remember, we I, I talked myself up with this get out stakes challenge so well because I'd nailed two from two in the lead up in our practice pods, and then uh, came out last week and put it in an absolute Barry Crocker of a show in my get out. But uh, what is your? Because I'm obviously no good anymore. We'll stick with your get out stakes play. Where are you going for your last race bet? Um, I'm going to head off to the New South Wales Provincial Races at Kembla. I love the track, love betting there, and it should get to it. Yeah, it's a currently good four. Um, I always love betting there, especially with horses who have a nice finish on them. Uh, one out of the trials I'm very keen to watch first up is a horse called Knight, which is, comes out of the Godolphin camp, gets the gun, Blake Spriggs in the saddle. Um, really, really impressed by that trial. I think she's definitely come on from last prep, um, flashed home in that Hawkesbury trial. Always love to – it's always a big push for mine, especially when they take – could often take these horses to Hawkesbury and they finish over the top well. Um, barrier 10 will be run on. Looks enough speed up there, and I think the track definitely plays towards the outside um, defence later in the day. So I think that's a nice way we can finish the day. Um, so that is race seven at Kembla, uh, number three night, which is um, – moving on to yours. I know you can't suck yourself first up, but – Hoping your second up record can be a touch better Saturday. Where are you taking us? Surely I'm improving second up. Surely I've got to improve second up here. Mate, I'm going to Arachnabeel. Now, don't ask me to put it on a map because I can't, but I know that I am covering the meeting for best bets. And Arachnabeel, race eight, number seven, Ginny Ann is my bet. Now, anyone familiar with this Ginny Ann horse will be quick to tell you that it's an absolute money muncher, this prep. And I agree, it is. But I just think it strikes its right race here uh, over the 1,200 metres in the benchmark 58 grade. It comes off a second on the Bell Synthetic uh, last start behind Paris Gem. Before that, it was third over 1,200 metres at Donald behind Paranto. It's not getting beaten far at all. I think the drying track uh, of Warraknabil will be suitable. Uh, although it still might have a bit of sting in it because there was a bit of round, rain around today. So even a soft five, uh, I think, will be very suitable for Ginny Ann. Brad Warula on board, carries the 60 kegs, but that's pretty well weighted in this field. Uh, and to be quite honest with you, it looks a field of absolute plotters. So Ginny Ann for me, Waraknabil race eight. As I said, don't ask me to put it on a map, but you know where to find it on your play-up app, so get on. Now, the Group 1 Challenge, another blowout. We, I really wanted to start strong with these challenges, but we just really didn't start well at all. But to be fair to us, very unlucky in the Group 1 uh, at Randwick last start. You had Fierce Impact as one of your bets who ran a really solid uh, third, I'm pretty sure it was, or it could have been third or second or third. I had Imaging, uh, who was a dead set horror watch. Um, <laughs> Myself actually to go and watch the replay of it again, but I had imaging. It was no good. So although we didn't get the cash, we weren't far away. Now the group one comes to Melbourne this weekend and you've plonked the whole $100 on a runner. Tell us who it is. 
Yeah, I've gone the opposite direction in your two-bet play. I've put me a whole $100 on a horse by the name of Arcadia Queen. I think definitely coming out of that last start, you've got to be very forgiving on those horses who tracked wide and moved into the race. Um, they went, they absolutely crawled. I think she was one of the better closers in that race. It's a sneaky run. I'm trusting that form. Um, comes to 1,400 metres. She has won there before. Looks absolute stack of speed on here. You got Savatiano going form uh, forward, Iconoclasm, um, the likes of them going forward. It's going to set up a nice race for these back markers. Um, she will need luck in the run. Barrier twelve. A lot of people would probably put the pen through that or say it's a negative. I think it's a positive. Lane's going to have to punch up and try to find a nice spot midfield somewhere in a three wide um, trailing position with cover would be ideal. Um, and I think at the price, $6.50 currently with player, I think that has to be my bet. Um, $100 smack bang on the nose at $6.50, I would take that in a very, very open group one, but I think she has the most upside and I'm keen to play there. Um, you mentioned yours before, but we'll go over them again, who you are taking in the group one Memsies. Yep, so I'm splitting the uh, splitting the 102 ways, 50 on Mystic Journey, 50 on Cascadian, as I said, thought they were both over the odds. Map for a good run, similar to Arcadia Queen with that hot tempo in front. And uh, all our selections here are coming out of that PB Lawrence, and they all had genuine, genuine excuses. So I'm splitting me, Hunji, 50 on 11, 50 on 9. Uh, gee, a dead heat would be good. A dead heat would put me in a great stead if they uh, were able to dead heat for the Group 1 challenge. So that is it. Hopefully we can get our running total uh, off the mark this week. And... Uh, We'll see you all next week, mate. We've made it to the end of episode two. I can't believe it. I don't think there'd be anyone listening by this stage, so that's fair enough. We could probably talk some absolute yarn between ourselves now and no one would notice because I don't think anyone's made it this far. But it's been a pleasure, Dino, as always. Uh, Good luck at Rose Hill and wherever else you may be having a bet this weekend. Uh, That's to everyone else as well. Perfect, mate. Pleasure always. Uh, Good luck to the punters, listeners, and uh, enjoy your weekends. Beautiful. See you next week.